Good morning, good morning. Breakfast and learning today is dedicated in loving memory and Lilui Nishmat Eva Ba'er Freidel Bat Haim Shmuel Akohen Alea Shalom. On her yard site, on her first yard site, sponsored by her daughter Michelle Mandelman, Ruach Anaitinichenna Began Eden. The cold brew today is dedicated in loving memory and Lilui Nishmat Moshe Ben Vida Alea Shalom, sponsored by Ralph D. Batesh. Hazaku Baruch. The Pasuk says, Vayetar Yitzchak Lamonai, and Yitzchak prayed to God. <clears throat> Yitzchak prayed to God, Lenochach Ishto, opposite his wife. Vayetar, Vayetar, Lo Amonai, and God answered him. Now I want to read you the words of Rashi that Rashi says on these, on these interesting words in the Chumash, and then we'll take it apart a little bit together. The Pasuk, the Rashi comments on the words, what does it mean that God, that Yitzhak prayed to God and God answered him? He prayed many times. means he was persistent in his prayers. And Hashem answered him, Nitratze means that God, he wanted to hear what Yitzhak was praying about. Hitpayes means that God was appeased. And finally, nitpata means God was almost wooed. He was, pitui means, we have that word, ones umefate, we have it later on, where someone in a scenario, of someone who rapes or seduces a woman. So he basically convinces her to be with him. Nitpate, that's the word over here. Where God is convinced, he's wooed by the prayers of Yitzhak Avinu. So the Sefarim tell us uh, some things that I, I just thought is, you know, when you find something that's magnificent, it's so beautiful. The Sefer Parperaot Lechokhmah, he brings, that there's another time that we find someone praying excessively. Hirba v'hiftzir. In fact, Rashi also uses the word hiftzir or maftzir. Maftzir means persistence in prayer. Where else do we find persistence in prayer in the Torah? Moshe Rabbeinu, excellent. And I entreated God. I begged God. Rashi over there says, Moshe Rabbeinu was maftsir in tefillah. And our Chachamim tell us over there, how many times did Moshe Rabbeinu pray? 515. 515. Where do we see that he prayed 515? From the word itself, Vayetchanan. Vav, Aleph, 7, Taf, 407, Het, and 407, 8, 407, 4, 15, Nun, and Nun is? 100, 515 times. And at that point, God tells Abraham, uh, God tells Moshe Rabbeinu, stop, enough. If you pray anymore, I'm going to give you what you want. That doesn't sound like a threat, except that Moshe Rabbeinu understands that the cost of having what he's praying for is actually too cost, too high a cost to pay because Am Yisrael would pay, uh, would pay the, the results of that tefillah. If Moshe Rabbeinu gets in, builds a Beit HaMikdash, that Beit HaMikdash is indestructible. It's so holy, it cannot be destroyed. And when the time comes that Am Yisrael is going to sin in the way that they did, instead of the Beit HaMikdash being destroyed and the Jewish people surviving, the Beit HaMikdash would not have been destroyable and the Jews would have paid the ultimate price. When Moshe Rabbeinu hears from God that the cost is the Jewish people, Moshe says, Chalas, I'm out, no more prayers. 
Says the Parperaot Lechokhmah, if the word over here in, in our Chazal, in our rabbis, is that Yitzhak was Matziri prayed excessively, that word indicated once how many prayers? 515 prayers. Says the Parperaot Lechokhmah, we're being hinted at that over here as well. Vayetar and Yitzhak prayed to God, Lenochach Ishto. So who's praying? Yitzhak and Rivka. Fascinating. The numerical value, the gematria of the word Yitzchak and the word Rivka is 515. So Yitzchak is also Matsir in Tefillah. Now what bothered me about this is, I see that Yitzchak is praying, Lenochach Ishto. He's praying towards his wife, for him and her. And that's 515. But with Moshe Rabbeinu, the fact that he prayed 515 times had nothing to do with himself, with his own name. Yitzchak and Rivka, I get it. They're praying for the continuation of themselves. So they're praying the gematria of their name. But why is Moshe Rabbeinu praying 515 times? It seems that there's something about this number of tefillot that pushes through something that's not supposed to happen. Moshe is not supposed to go into Eretz Israel. When a person prays that many prayers, they go, they tick over that number. That's when the prayers are answered. Now to me, that says something very interesting. That if a person prays that many times, even if something's not supposed to happen, it will happen. However, caution. Why does God need to be pushed, cajoled, seduced into answering the prayers of Yitzhak Avinu? Especially because he already promised Abraham that through Yitzchak he was going to have many children. So anyway God wants to answer, and anyway God has to answer this prayer. Why? What's the problem here? Why is, why is God need so many prayers from Yitzchak to make this a reality? And there are many answers to this question. One answer is, as you say, he loves him, he wants to get uh, you know, the maximum amount of tefillot out of him. However, the Sepharim tell us something amazing. Abraham Avinu, we know, was supposed to live until 180. He does not live until 180. He dies at 175. Why? In order, as the Pasuk says, that he should pass away, die with a good feeling in his heart, uh, and seeing his children, seeing his grandchildren following in his ways. Esav turns into this murderous, rapist, Gazlan. He does five great sins. On which day? On the day that Abraham passes away. Abraham's death, therefore, is, is governed by the time that Esav becomes a man and turns off the path. Five years of Abraham Avinu in this world, therefore, had to be shortened because Esav was born five years too early. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to give the Yitzchak what he wants, but the price of bringing those children into this world five years early is that Avraham, therefore, needs to exit stage left five years early. That's a big battle. And Yitzchak, maybe unbeknownst to Yitzchak, he's praying up against, just like Moshe Rabbeinu, against something that's not supposed to happen yet. But there's enough tefillah, and there's enough pressure, and there's enough passion in the tefillah that ultimately God answers the prayers. Now to me, this is something which is, I think is a very interesting idea. Because we think that, you know what, I could pray for something, pray for something, and God's not going to give it to me. Because it's not right for me. That's only partially true. A person can reach a level where they're praying hard enough, long enough, 
that God will answer their prayers even if that's not the best thing for them. Fascinating. Had Moshe prayed once more, what would have happened? He would have let him in. Would that have been right? No, it would have been wrong. Now, to me, that sounds crazy. But I'm praying to God. How could God give me something that's not... And I need you to hear this in the, with the intention that it's given over. That sounds like a strange thing because I'm praying to Hashem. I'm asking Hashem a beracha. How could He give me something that's not a beracha? Stop thinking about prayer in a non-realistic term. If I'm pushing and pushing and pushing at a door, eventually the door breaks. If I'm punching and punching and punching somebody in the face, eventually that person falls to the ground, even if after it turns out that that person was not someone I wanted to punch in the face. My favorite example for this is a man who goes downstairs in the middle of the night in his house. There's someone running around the house in the middle of the night. He jumps on the guy, beats him up into a pulp, and then turns on the light. And who is it? His father. Why did he beat up his, why is his father doing in his house in the middle of the night? Hazit, the guy with the bloody face, he's holding a gift wrap package that he was trying to sneak into the house to surprise his son for his birthday. The son gets up, he feels terrible. I'm so sorry, dad, I didn't realize it was you. The fact that you didn't know and you didn't realize, like is his face now not beaten up? Like does the blood go back in his nose? No, there's a reality to what you've done. If tefillah is a real thing, the same way it can do things which are positive, it can do things which are negative. We could pray that someone else should be hurt. And that's not a good thing. But ultimately, at the end of the day, sometimes that, the tefillah can be for something which has a negative impact. Because the tefillah is real. Rabotai, I want to share with you, unbelievable. The Rav Yosef Chaim Zunemfeld pointed out something magnificent. How many years is Abraham, we said, supposed to live? 180. How many years does he live actually in the end? 175. He says, look at the words in the Pasuk. And God himself, God answered the prayers of Yitzhak. The numerical value is exactly 748, which is the gematria of the words, Chamesh Shanim. Five years. On that gematria, Rev. Aaron Cutler said, it was said benivu'ah. Rabbi I want to share with you though what this kind of prayer looks like and how a prayer like this actually gets answers and gets results. Rashi asks on the words, lo. how come God answers him? Why doesn't God answer her? Rashi answers that God answers him first. Why? The prayers of a Sadiq, who is the son of a Sadiq, to the prayers of a Sadiq, who is the son of a Rasha. This always bothered me. What are you talking about? We say in Avot, Avot, Lefum Tsara Agra, according to the effort, such as the reward. Who has to work harder? A Sadiq ben Sadiq or a Sadiq ben Rasha? Sadiq ben Rasha. So why are you answering the prayers of a Sadiq ben Sadiq first? So one answer is this Good, but whatever Zuchuyot, you have more because of your father. I have more because it was harder for me to do. So this is not an easy question. And there's many different ways to turn it and angle it. And I just want to point out one thing. This is not about who has more merits. Because there's two parts to the way tefillah works. 
And I see a true student of Rav Nachman over there is shaking his head because he already knows this better than all of us put together. There's two parts to how a prayer works. One part is God checks your bank account. How many merits do you have? And on that level, no question, Sadiq ben Rasha maybe is even winning in the Zichuyot department because of how hard it was. Rabotai. But then there's another element. There's another element. What's the other element? Let me share something with you. Hagar is wandering in the desert. And who visits Hagar in the desert, says the Pasuk? The angel of God. Hagar starts engaging in conversation with the angel of God. There's another place in the Torah where someone meets an angel for the first time. His name is Manoach. Manoach is out in the field. He's the father of Shimshon. And what happens? He sees the angel and he thinks he's going to die. Says the Mefarshim, why does he think he's going to die? The answer is, because he's never seen an angel before, all of a sudden he sees the angel, he thinks the angel's coming. You know, I don't know, I've never seen an angel before. If I randomly saw an angel, like, you know, there's no name tag, you know, smiley face, malachamavet. I don't know which angel is which. I'm like, are you the Michael one, Gabriel? I'm not sure. I don't know how I would know the difference, okay? So he thinks he's going to die. Hagar is not worried at all. She just engages him in conversation. Why? Because it says she was milumad. She'd learned. She knows what an angel looks like. She grew up in the house of Avraham Avinu. In Avraham Avinu, they saw angels. Now, one time, there were angels disguised themselves, but that wasn't a big deal for someone that grew up there. I want to take that idea and apply it here as well. You know why a Sadiq ben Sadiq's tefillah is answered? Because he grew up in the house of a Sadiq. That word, milumad, the person has seen this, Go to Morocco, you see all the graves of the great Sadiqim over there. It says, Milumad bin Nisim. They've learned to expect Nisim, expect miracles. When a Sadiq, the son of a Sadiq prays, he actually expects his prayer to be answered. Because his whole life, that's what he's seen, that's what he's learned. That you pray and God answers, because you're the son of a Sadiq. If you're the son of a Rasha, by the way, I would say, even if you're the Sadiq son, of not a Rasha, not a Sadiq, just a regular guy who just doesn't pray, who doesn't see the results, who doesn't connect the answer to your prayers to the prayers, then a person doesn't know the efficacy of prayer. So they don't feel that if I pray, I will be answered. That's a separate thing to merits. That speaks to the sincerity of prayer, the expectation that this thing that I'm doing right now this makes a difference. This does something. That is about the authenticity of prayer, not about the merit of prayer. There was a woman living in Israel who was running a, a school called Shuvu. Shuvu was an organization that was set up when uh, Israel started receiving all of the uh, you know, people coming from outside, from uh, Yemen and from Russia and from all these places where in their home countries or when they got to Israel, someone was trying to take the religion that was their birthright and their heritage away from them. So the school's called Shuvu, which means return. Now, when you're writing, this woman, every Friday, the principal, every Friday, without fail, she would send out a Dvar Torah in the, uh, you know, in the, a piece of paper with all the kids. 
On that page, she would write a nice story, a nice mashal, an example, a nice idea. The main thing was that the kid could bring it home to his parents at a non-religious home on Shabbat, say a message that was relevant to anybody, no matter their religious level. They didn't need to know the parasha in order to read it. It was something that was, like we say in Hebrew, shaveh l'chol nefesh. It was good for everybody. Everybody could take something. And it's not an easy thing to say a Dvar Torah that anybody could understand and that anyone could accept and that anyone could relate to. It's not easy, I'm telling you. I'm in the business. Every week she prepared Dvar Torah, every week without fail, five years running. One year, this, uh, the Rabbanit Esther, she, uh, she has a wedding. Her son is getting married Thursday night. And with all the preparations for the wedding, she can't find the, the time to sit down and to write it properly, to come up with the idea, to connect it to something in the parasha, something that's, you know, motivate, motivational, inspirational, that's uh, instructive, that's, uh, you know, inspired. She can't, she can't come up with anything. She goes to the wedding and she still hasn't done it. It's Thursday night. She says, you know what? When I get home from the wedding, no matter what time it is, I'm going to sit up and I'm going to do this article. How many of you have said that before at some stage? <laughs> I come back for the wedding, then I'm going to do the work. Then you come back and you sit there and then you just put full sleep on the keyboard and you type Z, 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 Z. You ever done that, right? I always think that that's ironic when the letter that you get is Z while you're sleeping. Okay, either way, point is, right? She, this exact episode, she's falling, she's so exhausted. She wakes up Friday morning, early in the morning. She's trying, but she's so tired from the wedding, from trying to stay up late. She can't even focus for two seconds. She's getting more and more nervous. She has 10 minutes left to go to school. And she's full on having a panic attack. All of the emotions, all of the feelings of the wedding, of the fact that she needs to get this out, the pressures of school, sometimes the pressure that we're under at work, it just becomes overwhelming. She's feeling an anxiety attack, a panic attack coming on. What am I supposed to do? She's racking her brains, nothing is coming to her. She says, Ribono shel olam, God almighty in heaven. I get nothing from these sheets. They only are difficulty and aggravation. But every week someone comes back and says how much it inspired them, how much it made their Shabbat. So I felt that it is my holy honor and duty to put this out every week. I have nothing, God. I have nothing. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to write. And I have, by now, eight minutes, right? Till, till school comes. She says, God, I need you to send me a Dvar Torah. She walks over to the fax machine and she's praying and she's crying. I have nothing, I need you to send me a Dvartar. Could you imagine a fax from God? As she's sitting there praying, she finishes, she's got everything out, she closes her eyes, you know, and, and it's tears running down her face. All of a sudden, the fax rings. She's absolutely sure this is what it is. She does the thing, receive. On the top of the thing it says, Dvar Torah, Parashat HaShavua. She dries her tears, she can't believe it. She grabs the paper, she runs off to school, but she writes down the number that it came from. She sends out perfect Dvar Torah, tailor-made for a school just like hers, with families, just like the student body. When it comes back, she calls this number and she says, did you try and send me a fax today? I half imagine her being like, God? No, either way. So she picks up the phone, and the guy, this person answers, there's a woman on the other end of the line. And the woman says, can I help you? She says, did you send me a fax today? The woman says, no. She says, well, I clearly am holding it in my hands with your number on it, and I'm calling you, so you did. She says, what's your number? Tell me. She says, oh, I'm so sorry. The number, your number, your fax number, 
is off by one number of the number I was trying to send it to. She says, what, really, what was that? She says, I work for a school that has kids that are very not religious, they're all immigrants, they all come from other places. And we, each week we read a Devar Torah that has to be spe- specially tailor-made, that applies to everybody, blah, 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 blah. She gives her the whole spiel that she knows. And she says, and the rabbi's been writing this Devar Torah every single week, and every single week he asks me to send it to his sister who runs another school. And every Friday I send this fax to the sister. She says, how long has he been writing this Devar Torah for? She says, 14 years. 14 years times 52 weeks. How many weeks is that? Come on. Huh? Yeah, we all good? 700 plus, 700 plus weeks. She's never dialed it wrong. In exactly the moment that she's standing by the fax machine with her eyes closed, and she needs a Dvar Torah, there's a wrong number that sends her exactly what she wants. A lot of times this happens, that there's a wrong number that becomes exactly what you want. You're praying for something, you want a date, you want to go out, and you can't find the right person. And then someone sets you up, and it's so annoying, because you don't want to go out, and they're pressuring you to do this, and, I, you know, and finally you're like, okay, fine, I'll go for coffee one time if you stop harassing me. And then you go out, and you know what? You're absolutely right. This, this girl, she has nothing in common with you. You're on different religious levels. No, 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 And you, you go home, and you feel vindicated. But you also feel quite a bit angry, because you were praying, and then God sent you this. Like if you were in a restaurant, you would return and ask for your money back. And then you get a phone call that night. And this has happened to one of my closest friends. A phone call that night from the person who set you up and said, you know, I had a really interesting phone call. The girl said she had a terrible time. <laughs> she said it was miserable. You guys were not connecting at all. She can't believe it. The only reason why she agreed to go out with you was so that they would stop harassing her. The guy says to himself, Shema Israel. Maybe I have more in common with this girl than I thought. <laughs> she says, but, she said if it's not too weird, she would love to set you up with her much more religious, much more intellectual sister. Sister, because she thinks the two of you would get on like a house on fire. The two of them are married today with four kids from the horrible coffee date. Okay? That shouldn't have gone anywhere. From the bit that the guy was so angry about having, after the result of his prayers being like this. A lot of times there's a wrong number that isn't quite the wrong number that we think it is. What do we need from our tefillah? We need two things. Number one, we need to not give up and pray and pray and pray. And number two, we actually need to pray the prayer of a Sadiq ben Sadiq. The prayer of someone that feels and knows that what they're doing is actually making a difference. Because without that feeling, the tefillah is just not authentic. Baruch Amen. Amen.